then drove up to South Head, where they watched the great ship slip out of Sydney Harbour and turn north. His father absolutely couldn't speak, Victoria recalled. Benny's mother stayed at home, weeping inconsolably. She adored John, Victoria said. She couldn't come to see him leave. Later that day, Victoria went to visit her. She started drinking heavily the morning after he left for Vietnam. David Llewellyn similarly departed for Vietnam on HMAS Sydney in 1968. His memory of the ship pulling away resonates with many. The sailors lined the deck facing out to sea, and the soldiers faced the wharf and their loved ones down below. I felt a huge ache in my stomach, and as the ship started to move, I could hear this deep sobbing coming from one of the soldiers. It sounded so sad, and it was almost as if he was voicing the distress of all of us on our behalf. I had a few moments to settle down, and then the plaintive sound of a lone piper standing at the very end of the wharf came across the water. Those sounds will stay with me forever. The farewell was particularly poignant, as it was my wife of three months I was leaving behind. Paul Murphy the youngest of three children raised in Canberra, worshipped his father. A mild-mannered, labour-voting engineer is how Murphy remembers him. After leaving school, Murphy joined an insurance company, but the lure of adventure led him to volunteer for national service. I was young. I wanted to go to Vietnam. One Saturday morning in late August 1966, Murphy returned home on leave from infantry training. News of the Battle of Long Tan had just reached Australia. When Dad heard the news, Murphy recalled, he kicked my bedroom door in and shouted, 17 blokes have been fucking killed and you want to go to Vietnam? It was the only time I ever saw him cry. Murphy's departure was awkward and very low-key. You were given an hour at the airport with your family. We stood around. My brother, sister and my girlfriend all came. Dad steeled himself for it. He was a meek and mild man. I shook his hand. I should have hugged him. I kissed my mother. She later left Dad for someone else. And then I boarded the flight to Vietnam. Within a few months, about a quarter of Murphy's unit, Delta Company, 2nd Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, were dead or wounded. The blokes felt we were cursed, Murphy later said. We had a wake and got pissed. But the blokes lost it. They were sobbing for their dead mates. We were absolutely emotionally distraught. We were twenty-year-old, hairy-arsed boys. Rural Australia doted on its first Nashos, national servicemen, and the small Victorian town of Ensay in the close-knit shire of Omeo was typical. In 1964, Barry Heard, a local farm labourer, had ideas of becoming a shearer. At weekends, he took his girlfriend to young farmers' woolshed dances. He loved the mutual support of the rural community. When a fellow local footballer died in a car accident, hundreds attended the young man's funeral. As the coffin was lowered into the earth, the entire community started to grieve as one, Heard wrote, as our dear friend Sol was sent off with all the love this little community could muster. One day, out of the blue, Heard, 
then 19, received a very official letter in a brown envelope, informing him that his name had been drawn in a ballot for national service. A number on a little wooden marble had coincided with his birth date. Suddenly, he wore the badge of Ensei's first conscript. Apart from feeling a sense of mild panic, I had no idea what it all meant. Nobody opposed national service in Ensei. It was endorsed by the country party, so that was that. Like hundreds of rural Australian towns, Ensei threw its first accidental hero a farewell party. The locals bedecked the community hall in streamers and flowers, and a band called the Diamonds played. Two hundred people attended. Old diggers came over and chattered to the prized new recruit. After many handshakes, dances and hugs, Barry Heard prepared to depart for the recruit.